The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Good morning, Crosspoint. My name is Beth. I'm one of the pastors here and so thankful for you guys to join us today. Today we're talking about sin. So aren't you so glad that you came out? Woohoo! Our favorite subject. So um, I know that there's a lot going on in this world. I know that there's a lot happening even with us right now. And so I just want everyone to take a deep breath. And I want to pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good. You are wonderful. And we are so thankful. God, we thank you for being our Savior. We thank you for hope. God, we ask right now that whatever the distractions that the enemy has that would be um, bound outside, that nothing would come in to be able to come in the place of what you have for us. In your name, amen. So I was at this conference about four years ago in Atlanta. It was a great conference. It was a huge conference. I learned a ton of things. And they had all these different breakout sessions. And so one of the breakout sessions I went to was on language that we use as a church. And um, I was sitting there, you know, intrigued, learning about this. And the, the lady teaching it, she said, and let's get to sin. I said, okay, well, that's like an interesting segue. Let's get to sin. And she said, so we don't use the word sin anymore because it's offensive. And I was like, but yeah, that's what's, you can laugh, right? It was funny. I was sitting there like, wait, what, what, is, what is happening right now? And so she said, no, we don't use the word sin. You know, we like to use the word grievance because sin, just people don't like that word. And so I sat there, and I don't know if any of you guys know me. I'm a little bit of a character, so I was kind of like, huh. And she said, and actually, we try not to talk about sin when we're delivering you know, the message, and so I'm now perplexed, as most people would be that know what sin is, and so, you know, as time went on, I I had to get up and I had to leave, because what is happening in our culture is that we are afraid to use the word sin, because we don't like how the outside world or people think of that word, and so we started to take it out a little bit. We tried to find other words for it, but I want to get us all on the same page today. I want to lay some um, biblical foundation for us. If you guys ever went to any kind of Sunday school, you might have heard this and said, well, Beth, I know that, but I just want to make sure that everyone here can agree on the same things so that you won't be like me sitting there going, what is happening? And so first things first, what is sin? If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in a lot of the words tonight. We're going to be flipping around. All of the references will be up there. They're also on your program. We're in 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. So let's clearly define sin. Anything contrary to the law of God. It's very simple. Anything contrary to the law of God. Now I know for you Bible scholars out there that there is a systematic theology on sin 
that is really comprehensive. For today, we're going to use just the basic understanding of it. Is anything contrary to the law of God? And then secondly, we have to come to the realization that everyone has sinned. So in Romans 3.23, it says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now this is another concept that I was unaware of that people don't like. They don't like to believe that everyone has sin. And it's fascinating to me because I know we're born into a sinful nature because I have a three-year-old. And if you ever see a toddler, you just know immediately that there's sin in this world when they just go up to you and punch you, right? And I will say, my Sophie is the cutest. She had pigtails on last night, a little shirt that said, I am a child of God. And right outside, she just went and punched somebody. She's a sinner. And so you're saying like, oh, you just called your three-year-old a sinner? Just wait, it gets even better. So I recently got a new sister-in-law, and she is amazing. She, where she walks, a garden grows behind her. She sneezed the other day, and I saw glitter come out of her mouth. I mean, she is the nicest human being in the world. She's a sinner. I'm going to really step on toes right now. There's a woman at church. I'm stepping on this side because she's over there. She's prayed for many of you. A lot of the chairs you're sitting in right now, she has prayed over. She's walked with a lot of you in life. She is one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. Oh, it's so hard for me to even say. She's a sinner. She says amen because she knows it, right? And so one of the things that we have to realize is that we all start in the same place that we were born into sin. And if we can come to the realization that we were born into something that is contrary to the law of God, then we can realize that we have this all very equal playing field. And then why is sin important? Because sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59, the Old Testament, there's lots of scriptures that describe it, but I love this so much. So you're going to flip to the Old Testament. Isaiah 59. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear your call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Sin does not mean God can't. God is still powerful, and God can still hear you. But what happens with sin is that sin separates us from God. And from the beginning of time, from Genesis, you read that there is sin enters in this world, and then there is this constant seeking for atonement to pay the price for our sin. That's the, the biblical arch of the Bible, I just told it to you, is that we are looking for atonement, we're looking for, for something to pay the price so that we can, the chasm that sin creates between us and God. And there's only one way to do that. And the only way for redemption is by Jesus. In Romans 3.24, if you're in Romans earlier, you just we're in the next verse. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. 
He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Okay, so now, Jesus died for our sins so that we don't have to, and that if we believe in him, he justifies our sin, which means he takes away our sin. So if you, you have these sins and you believe in him and you confess, he takes away that sin. And it's this beautiful thing that happens. But another amazing thing that happens is then he puts on you his righteousness and then you now carry the righteousness of God. So you were a sinner. You believe in Jesus that he died on the cross, the only redemption, and then you have the righteousness of God. We can be done. I'm kidding. All right. So now that we all understand this and we understand what sin is, when Jesus says something in the Bible, we need to, we need to read it and we need to absorb it and we need to take it very seriously. And so we're going to read again what Grant read. And just for funsies, I like to give the person reading the scripture something like super dark where they're like, can we read about, like, love? And it's like, no, read about cutting off your arms. It's amazing. So we're going to go to Mark 9. We're going to sit in Mark 9 for a second. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better to enter eternal life with only one hand, then go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where maggots never die and the fire no goes out. Now, does Jesus want us to mutilate ourselves? No. But the concept goes is that back then, if someone was a thief, the punishment would have been to cut off a finger or a hand. And so that would have been a thing that they understood. But the other part that they would understand is that this is something we need to take serious. If Jesus is telling you that something offends you, that causes you to sin, that causes you to be contrary to the law of God, and you should cut it out, what should you do? You should cut it out. Thank you. It was wonderful. It was, you, like I paid you guys to do that. Why? Because Jesus understands the power of sin. Since the beginning of time, he has seen how sin has wreaked havoc on a nation and then the world. And so that he, he knows what it is. I wanna, I've been doing student ministries up until a few years ago for 23 years. 23 years, and I have a similar story that happens over and over in youth ministry. And one of those stories is that a, a student will come forward and say, I'm struggling with X, Y, Z. 
And then we will meet with the parents, and the parents will say, what should we do? And then we'll tell them, you know, take away the phone, turn off the internet, don't let them hang out with those friends, you know, like do all these different things. And then the parents kind of just look at us like, that's really hard. And I realized that. When I first started student ministries, I did not have a kid. I do now know now that when you ground a kid, you also ground yourself. So I understand when you say you can't go out with your friends, mommy and daddy can't go out with their friends either. So I understand that it is a hard concept. But over and over and over throughout the years, we've said things like, take this away, take this away. And they say it's too hard. And then they come back to us years later of like, wow, my kid is really in destructive behavior. Wow, my kid is so far away from God, farther than I ever want to be. And this is where I get angry and I want to pound the table and say, but, I, but we told you to take it serious. And you didn't. But it's not just for students. Because over the last few years where I've had the ability to work with so many adults, it's the same story. I'm struggling with this, then, then, then leave. Then don't be in that situation anymore. Get a flip phone. Turn off the TV. Unplug the TV. Put the TV out on the curb. You're doom scrolling. You're on the phone and you're on the internet for, for hours and hours, and you're getting anxiety by all of the things in the world. Delete the app. But I just kind of want to be in the know. If we don't take it seriously, it's going to grab a hold of us quicker than we want it to. So the enemy likes to get uh, footholds. I call them eye gates and ear gates and mouth gates. So that you have an open gate into your mind with the things that you hear. You have an open gate into your heart with the things that you see. You have an open gate into the world with your mouth and the things that are coming and going. And that there's times where we need to cut those things out. Where we need to shut all the doors in our mind to prevent the enemy capturing hold of our heart. What if Jesus meant what he said about taking sin seriously. What if we believed enough to take sin seriously? We're still in Mark, but we're just going to go over two chapters in Mark 7. Starting in verse 20. This is Jesus talking about it's what comes from inside that defiles you. From within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defiles you. And so when it talks about guarding and our protecting our heart, it's because the sin that comes out comes from inside our heart. And it's not just the, the big sins. Sometimes when we talk about sin, people say, well, I, 
I haven't killed anybody. Oh, high five. That's exciting. But you're a liar. You're a gossip. We try to make talking bad about people cute. Um, my sister who passed away, uh, the Spanish word for it is chismosa, like you're a gossip, right? And then so chisme, and that's kind of like a cute word, right? If you're like a little nerdy American, you're like, oh, chisme. <laughs> you're talking bad about people. There's nothing cute about it. And it starts in our heart. And then it comes out our mouth. And not that we can keep our sin to ourselves, but we want someone else to participate and to edify our sin. And so they come into it. And it's not just women who do it because good grief, men. Woo! In the workplace, the things we say about the people we work with, the things we say about our friends, our enemies, on the interwebs, when we all become these keyboard warriors and we say these things and they spew out of our mouths. And Jesus said, but be careful because the sin that comes from your heart is what defiles you. And we're going to take it even a step further. If you guys didn't get a chance to listen last week to Steve's message on anger, it was so good. And he, he briefly talked about this. So we're going to go over one whole book into Matthew, Matthew 5. You have heard the commandment, sorry, Matthew 5, 27. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so Jesus was so countercultural. He was so, he pushed it so much more that he's saying it's, it's bad if you do it, but it's just as bad as you think it because that's where it starts. That we need to capture our thoughts, capture every thought and hold it hostage so that we don't turn it into an action. And it's, it's hard to do that because sometimes we like our thoughts we like that feeling inside of being able to control things in our mind. We like to be able, we feel safe and secure. But he said, if you think it, because what comes from inside us is what defiles us. And his warning stood. Our response to sin should be to cut it out. A few years ago, I had a minor surgery, and um, the doctor, I had to stay off my feet, but I don't know about you, but I think sometimes doctors just make suggestions, right? Like, that's not totally necessary. And I'm a go, 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 and I had a newborn baby, and so I went, 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 and I didn't take care of myself, and my scar, my incision site got infected. And so my husband at one point sees it and goes, whoa. Should probably go to the doctor. And I go, nah, it's just mildly irritating. I will take care of it. And so I let it go. And then what became mildly irritating 
in a few days turned to life-threatening. And my friend who's a nurse, and I showed it to her, and she said, go to the emergency room or I'm calling 911. You're septic. And I went to the emergency room and they took me back immediately. And after a good stern yelling at from the doctor, he said, we have, you have to have surgery. And I said, no, I'm a new mom. I don't have time for surgery. But you didn't take care of it. And we've got to cut it out because it's going to get into your blood. And if it gets into your blood, it's going to be really, really bad. And so what was a three-inch ended up being three inches deep and about 12 inches long. That's sin. Sin is just mildly irritating, right? Sin is just something that we kind of, um, like we know in our head. Like, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't say that. Probably shouldn't watch that on TV. (laughs) Probably shouldn't have uh, yelled at my kid that way. And it's just mildly irritating. But it can turn to life-threatening very quick. I think there's something that happened that I don't know about where I just learned um, a few years ago moving to Temecula that if you are on the 15, you no longer have to be a Christian. (laughs) Because everyone who gets on the freeway, automatically that Holy Spirit just goes out the window. And they're like, ah! And they just say things and do things, and you're like, what in the world? I literally just prayed with you. Those words came out of your mouth. And we, we just chalk it up to road rage. <laughs> just chalk it up to that. But then it doesn't just stay in the car. It comes out on the dinner table. It comes out when we're frustrated or things didn't go our way. And it's a mild irritant. We watch things on TV, the things we allow to pass through our eye gates. And one of the rules that I have tried to instill for myself is if my eight-year-old daughter can't watch it, I probably shouldn't be watching it either. Because if you have to pause the TV every time they come into the room, you're probably watching something that's not God-honoring, right? Well, that's a little scary because there's a lot of fun stuff on TV. But we allow it to enter in, and instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us inside, we're watching Netflix to fill us inside, or Amazon Prime, or Showtime, or Hulu, or like, whoo, like so many streaming apps. And those are the things that start to fill us inside, and then those are the things that are starting to come out of us, and then we wonder, what is happening? And then we try to take care of things ourselves. I asked this question to our staff. What do you guys do when you're struggling with sin? And this was so fun for me because they're like, I put a rubber band on my wrist. And every time I'm about to sin, I snap it. And I want to laugh. Because you're trying to take the place of the Holy Spirit. And it's like that Pavlovian technique of, ow, don't do that again. Right? And we think that that's the thing that's going to take away the struggle of sin. And so we try to do it ourselves because we don't want to address it. We try to take care of it ourselves because if we put it out there, it's so scary. But we need to take it seriously. In 1 Peter 5 8, stay alert. 
Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. I promise you, Crosspoint, if they came up here and said, there is a lion outside in the hallway, you guys would be prepared. You would, one, look for the slowest person in the room, which is me, and that's not nice. And then you wouldn't go outside. You wouldn't go outside because you know that if you go outside, he's going to eat you. It literally says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, meaning he's seeking after you. He's not in bed eating bonbons. He's out here searching for you because he knows that if you have the Holy Spirit inside you, that if you've accepted Jesus in your life, that you are making headway for the gospel and you're coming on his territory and he doesn't want that to happen, so he's looking for you. We need to take sin seriously. I want to give you guys some practical steps. Practical steps on how to take sin seriously. And the first thing is pray and ask God to identify. Some of you don't need to pray. You know exactly what it is right now. You knew the second I said, we're talking about sin. You said, whoop. It's in my head. I hear it. Every single week, about 90% of Crosspoint meets in a small group, and we do the inside of the program is called the Intersect. And in that Intersect, what we do is we talk about what we talked about this week. Whether you're in a small group or not, fill it out this week. Because we ask you to write it down. Sometimes it's scary to write down our struggles. Because if we put it out there, people might find out. But where there is light, there cannot be darkness. And if we give exposure to that, the enemy loses its power. Step two. Pray for the Holy Spirit to begin to take it away from you. In Galatians 5, 16 and 17, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting against each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. So if you have the Holy Spirit inside you, you need to know that there is this battle that is going on where your sinful nature wants you to sin. And the Holy Spirit wants you to do things that are Holy Spirit filled. Now how can we can give to the Holy Spirit? Is you need to spend time with the Holy Spirit. You need to spend time with Jesus. Sometimes when I'm meeting with people and they're talking about their struggles, I will say, well, when's the last time you prayed about it? 
Well, last Sunday at church. Well, what did you do the other 172 hours? Watch TV. Was playing a game on my phone. I got a high score. The more time you spend with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the more that the Holy Spirit will come inside you and fill you. This is a $5 word. It's called sanctification. That the more that is inside of you of the Holy Spirit, the less the sinful nature is inside of you. And so that goes down and the Holy Spirit goes up and then it takes away your desires to do those sin. So I'm saving your wrist because you no longer have to put a rubber band on your wrist. Instead, you can pray and you can ask the Father, the Holy Spirit, help me. We need to plead to the Lord. There's a song that says, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. When we are struggling with sin, Lord, I need you. Every minute, every second, because I can't do it on my own. And we have to start to come to the realization that we cannot do it on our own. Because you will fail and you will fall and it hurts and it's painful. And every time you fall, you seem to fall harder and further away. But when we ask the Holy Spirit to come in and we plead with the Lord to fill us so that we can stop doing with it. Because sin is dangerous. Step number three. Take actionable steps to remove things from your life. I want to say it's enough to just pray and hope it goes away. But we need to do something about it. If you have a struggle with something that you see on the interwebs, I'm telling you right now, Turn off the interwebs. Turn off the internet. Get someone to say, change the code on my internet so I don't have access. Oh, that's real extreme, Beth. So is sin. If you struggle with alcohol or drugs, there are so many services out there. But stop dancing with it. Stop playing with it. Justin a couple weeks ago said, stop petting your sin. And when he said it, I was like, ew, that's gross. But we cuddle with it. We snuggle our sin. We take pride in our sin. But it's wreaking havoc on your life. And some of us need to cut it out. And that's going to be really hard. And now I'm going to offend a lot of you. But some of us have friends that we shouldn't be friends with. Well, Beth, I'm being a light in a dark world. No, you're just as dark as they are when you're with them. The power and influence that some of our friends have over our lives, that you notice you're maybe just a little bit more naughty with them, things that you wouldn't say in front of your small group, or Steve, but with them, you're like, yeah. Your kids 
see that you're different around that person? Maybe that's a friendship that needs to end. I always say you need a friend that pushes you off the crazy train instead of jumping on the crazy train with you. But maybe you're the the friend on the crazy train pulling them up and you need to stop. Things need to happen for us to cut out sin. We need to take it seriously because it leads to death and separation from God. In 1 John 5, 21, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. It didn't say befriend it. It didn't say do it more. Keep away. This is so fun. I should see your guys' faces right now. <laughs> Step four, ask for accountability. Because again, we cannot do it on our own. I know I talk about small groups a lot. I mean, I am over small groups, so like, I happen to like them. But I like them for a reason. Because it forces accountability. It forces you to have hard, difficult conversations with people when you write down on here, what is the sin you're struggling with? And you have to sit across from Joe in your small group and tell them. And we don't just let you say it and then do nothing about it. But our next question is, what are you going to do about it? I have someone in my small group, her name is Andrea, and we've been doing devotions in the morning together. And it's a great way to start out, but I, I have no excuse. I'm a sinner. I just didn't want to. I was struggling. And so two weeks in a row, I brought something up in small group. And so she called me and she said, hey, For two weeks now, you've struggled with that. But I noticed you haven't been doing your devotion in the morning. Did you just call the pastor out? What? Yes. And I'm so thankful for her because she was right. I needed someone to hold me accountable. In the moment, did I like it? No, not a fan of her. (laughs) But so thankful after I opened up the word of God. And was able to spend time with God and make some things right. Step five. Repeat steps one through four daily. Because it doesn't just go away. You have to constantly be at this. Because you conquer one and then the other comes up and you're like, it's like playing whack-a-mole with our sin. But we have to constantly. But... We have so much to be thankful for. In John 8, 34 through 36, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. If the son sets you free, you are truly free. You don't have to be held down by your sin. The handcuffs that it puts you in can be free. You don't have to stay there. I'm going to give you more hope as the band comes up. 
Ephesians 2, starting in the beginning, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God, everyone say that, but God. One more time, but God, but God. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our many sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Romans 8, 1 through 3. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power that leads to death. There is hope. The sin and the struggle that you came in with. The deep, dark secret in your heart. You can be redeemed from that. You can be free from that. I was an angry, angry, angry young lady. And when my husband and I were dating, I got into a fight with someone. And my husband came up to me and he said, we weren't married yet, we're dating. He said, I don't want to be with you if that's who you're going to be. That was, that was painful. And I tell you what, I went to the Lord that night and I got on my knees and I begged him to take that anger from me. Because I didn't want to lose Joey. I didn't want to lose my relationship with the Lord. And it was this battle for months with the Holy Spirit. Come fill me. Come take it from me. Come fill me. Take it from me. Take this anger. Replace it with the fruits of the Spirit. Replace it with love, hope, peace, kindness, patience. And there was a moment a few months after that where I woke up and I felt free. I felt lighter. I felt hopeful. The anger that was inside me was filled with love and I, I, I felt like I could dance. For some of you that are burdened with sin, Jesus wants you to dance. He wants you to be free. He wants the chains to be broken. So don't wait. Don't wait till you get home. Do it right now. Stop listening to me. I don't have a lot of important things to say. For those of you that can't, do it on your own. We have a prayer team in the back. Because sometimes even uttering the words out loud are terrifying. You can go and ask a prayer team. Help me. Lord, I need you. And I don't know what to say. And they will pray for you. And then we have communion in the four corners of the wall. This. 
And communion is a representation of the blood of Jesus Christ. We talk about that blood, that redemption, that it covered our sin. The blood covered our sin, and that is what wiped it away so that we can have Jesus' righteousness put on top of us. And so when we take communion, it says, take it as often as you can to remember me. And so we say, we, we, we grab the communion and we say, okay, this is Christ's blood shed for me. Okay, okay. No! This is Christ's blood shed for you so your chains could be broken. This is Christ's body broken for you so that you can have freedom. So that when you take communion, you say, oh, this is Christ's blood because I am free. Who the sun sets free is truly free. Thank you for your blood. And communion becomes a celebration. When you take communion today, that we celebrate that maybe you're not in bondage anymore. And those that are can be not in bondage. Just like that. Don't wait, guys. Don't wait. Heavenly Father, oh man, man, God, you are so good. You are so powerful. You are so mighty. And so, God, right now in this moment, illuminate the things in our heart. Illuminate the things that are bringing destruction and havoc, the sin. And God, give us power. Holy Spirit, give us power to overcome so that everyone in here today, for the first time or the 20th time, can experience freedom. We worship you, God, and we are so thankful. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.